Well, amen. Today I want us to look at what I've entitled, uh, Watch That Devil Run. Amen. You know, in my life I've had times of conflict. I've had conflict when it seems that I'm in a quarrel with the devil. And that with that struggle of temptation that I I don't want to do, but I'm constantly tempted with it. And it always seems to be there. And, you know, I've even had some times when I've prayed and it seemed like the prayer didn't get any further than the roof of the room I was praying in. I believe we all go through those. What about you? Have you ever had that time where you were in that wrestling match with the devil? Does it seem that there is a sin in your life that you just can't seem to get past? You know that one temptation you can't seem to resist. It's always there and you fall for it every time it comes by. Maybe it's even that thought that, you know, Scripture has no purpose. I believe many of us at some point in our life have struggled with any of those things. And we want to do better. We want to fight it. We want to overcome that. We want to see that devil run. You know, maybe what we should just do is just resist the devil and he'll flee. You ever heard someone tell you that? Just resist the devil and he'll flee. It's a great thought. You know, it's actually even in Scripture. Resist the devil and he'll flee. But what we have to understand is that's not the full verse. It's only a portion of the verse. So what does God have to say about this? Let's turn in his word to get his opinion because, you know, my opinion doesn't matter one bit. But what he tells us is what makes all the difference in the world. This is the truth. I love the saying. You've probably heard it. This is truth whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it, whether you accept it. It doesn't make it non-truth just because you don't accept it. This is truth, and this is God's standard. And I want us to be able to leave here this morning and be able to watch that devil run because we're going to be ready to resist him. But we must do it in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that is to do it how he says. So open your Bibles this morning to the book of James, not far from Revelations, just after Hebrews, just before 1 Peter, James chapter 4. And if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word, James chapter 4. Beginning in verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the authority, the truth, the power, Father, that comes through your word. And this morning, 
Lord, I want you to teach us, Father, more about who you are, and Father, more about this power that comes from you that resides within us. Father, that we may be able to submit to you as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the Father, then that old devil, Father, he's going to run. Father, in you, we can resist him, and he will flee. Father, help us this morning to hear from you. Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want us to look at this first verse here. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. There's the whole verse. The devil's not going to flee from you if you're living in the flesh. The devil's only going to laugh, and he's going to tempt you more. But when we submit to God, then the devil will flee. Because it's not us. None of us are in here, regardless of who you are. None of us are good enough or strong enough to resist the temptation of the devil within ourselves. because we're born with a flesh nature, a sin nature. It's what we want to do. If we're honest with each other this morning, let's just be honest. Can we do that? Sin's fun. I've never encountered a sin that I was tempted with that wasn't something that I would enjoy doing. And it's the same thing for you. Because of our nature. That's why if we're going to resist the devil, if we want to see the devil run, we've got to submit to him. But I want us to go over a few key things before we really get started this morning to help us understand this the best that we can. When you are looking in the original language of this, the way it's written, it gives you the mood and how things are written. And I want to read to you two different ones because this is very important. There's what's called the imperative mood. That's going to be a command. It said this way, the mood that normally expresses a command, an attention, an exhortation, the imperative mood is there not expressed of reality, but it's something that must be done. An imperative is going to be a command from God, and then there's the indicative mood, and that's the one where the action of the verb being stated is described and presented by the writer as if it was actually happening. So let's look right here. You see the two blue words, submit and resist? Those are imperative. God commands us to submit to him, and then he commands us to resist the devil. But, oh, God, he loves to tell us why. You know, he doesn't do anything just to be mean. Hey, why? Look at that underlined. He will flee. Who's going to flee? The devil will flee. This is written that if you submit to God and you resist the devil, he will flee. It's not he might flee, but he will flee. So preacher, how often do I have to submit to God? How often do I have to resist the devil? If I submit to God and resist the devil, is he going to flee and be gone? Not if it's the same devil that's coming after me. Because he's going to go right out there and he's going to circle around and it ain't no time he's coming right back. 
We must daily and moment by moment submit to God so that we'll be able to resist that devil and he will flee from us. That submit is a military term and it's a military term that says to get in your proper rank. How many of you here by show of hands have been in the military? I know a couple of you have. How many of you know a little bit about the military? Can you imagine if there was a buck private and he stood up to the general and told the general what to do? What's going to happen? Kenneth, he's going to get in a little bit of trouble, isn't he? Put yourself in the proper rank. When I submit to God, guess what? I'm not number one. I'm sorry to tell you if you come in here today, which I don't think any of you did, thinking that you're number one. Oftentimes we live as if we're number one. But we are not in control. We are not in command. The moment we surrendered our life to Christ, he didn't just become our Savior, he became our Lord. We are giving him that right to be in command. Even if we don't give it to him, he's the creator. But we are to submit, we're to get in a proper rank, we're to be underneath God. We are to submit, therefore, to God. And when we submit to God, then we're going to be able to resist the devil. So if we want to see the devil flee, we must resist him. So what's the big question this morning? When looking at this is... How? How do we resist the devil? It's right there. We're to submit to God. How do we do that? That's what we need to turn to God's word for. God says, submit to me and resist the devil and he's going to flee. So we've got the command to resist him. But we've got to submit and we've got to understand how to submit. The first thing that we must do to submit to God is to converge your spirit. Look there at verse 8 in the text. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That draw near, there we go again. That is another imperative mood. There's another command. We're to draw near to God. And then the writer says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. We're here we're going again, not maybe, not eventually. When we draw near to God, God is going to draw near to us. We see this same wordage of drawing near in the Old Testament. Let's look at Exodus 19.22. It says, also let the priest who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. The priest who come near. The priest had a responsibility. They had a job. That was offering up the sacrifice on behalf of the people. But when they were to approach God, when they were able to draw near to God, they had to consecrate themselves. Well, guess what? If you're sitting in this room and you're a born-again believer, you're in what we call the priesthood of the believer. We each take our offering to the Lord. The moment Christ washed over us, we became a believer. That veil was ripped. We don't have to have someone else do it. We go directly to the Father, and if we're going to submit to him, we've got to converge. We've got to draw near to him. 
We've got to come close. How do we come close to God? Well, here's what you've been hearing me say ever since I've been here. Number one, daily spend time with God. You're not going to draw near God if you don't spend time with him every single day. Yeah, sometimes we mess up. Guess what? We mess up in life. God forgives us. We must repent of that. And we must spend time with him. How are you going to draw near to a friend? How do you draw near to a spouse if you don't spend time with them? You see, I got to know Nicole as we were dating. As I drew near, as I spent time with her, I began to learn who she was. And she began to learn who I was. And we were able to come near and to understand each other. You must spend time daily with God. You need to open God's word and you need to read a portion of God's word every single day. You must walk with him. You must submit. Put on the full armor of God before you get out of bed or as soon as you get out of bed. Sometimes if you're ever to peek through the window over here in the morning and I'm doing my study, you will see me sometimes physically doing that. I will say, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. You know, the helmet covers our mind. It covers our eyes and our ears and our, our mouth. And then I, I tell the Lord that I'm putting on the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness that covering my heart. You see, none of us in here are righteous in our own. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then I put on that belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. He holds everything together. The belt secures it all there. And then I'll take and I'll put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace so I'll be ready to share his word. And then, you know, we got to go out into the battle so I'm going to pick up my shield of faith that I can hold it up and block those arrows as the devil begins to shoot them my way. And then I can pick up the sword of the spirit. The word of God, the spoken word, the little sword that they would use for hand-to-hand -hand combat. When Satan comes and attacks me, we've got to have his word hidden in our heart that the Holy Spirit can recall, and that's how we battle. You know, if Satan comes at me and I say, oh, Satan, get out of here. You can't do that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to laugh me right out of there. But if I'm able to bring up a scripture and on the authority of Jesus Christ and his words, I quote that to Satan, we're going to see him running. We're going to watch Satan running. We've got to draw near to God. It tells us over in 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, You also, a living stones, or being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We've got to converge our spirits on him. You've all had people that you've had to draw near to to understand who they were. You remember that one time that you were scared maybe as a child? And you drew near to a relative, a, a mom or a dad or a, an uncle or a cousin or something in a time of a storm. It made you feel secure. 
Imagine the little children that are dealing with this hurricane, how close they're probably staying to, to mom and dad for that protection. You see, when we draw near, when we get under the umbrella of God's protection and we draw near to him, we're going to be able to resist the devil. But it tells us there at verse 8, not only that, but it also says to cleanse your hands, you sinners. We got to clean our actions. We don't do the cleaning. We understand that. Jesus Christ is the one that does the cleaning in us. But if we're submitting to him, then he is going to clean our actions. It says clean your hands to purge it of evil. The hands, not necessarily the physical hands. You know, I could go back here in that bathroom and I could wash my hands or I could get this hand sanitizer I have right here and I can cleanse my hands and no devil don't care one darn bit about that. But my hands that are my actions, how I accomplish things, the means of doing things, when I began to clean my life because I'm submitting to God and I've drawn near to him and he's telling me of these things and I'm able to confess them, my outward actions have to change. If you see a person that has accepted Christ and their life has never had one ounce of change, most likely they haven't come to Christ because Christ is going to change their life. It's going to change what you do. You're still going to sin, but you're not going to want to continue repeatedly on and on sin. You're not going to want to live into that lifestyle. But I like how the, the writer here wrote, called them sinners. I mean, isn't that a slap in the face? I think that got their attention, though, and you know they need that. Because if we're going to cleanse ourselves, what's the first thing they teach in Alcoholic Anonymous? Not that any of y'all know that, but maybe you've heard it. What do you have to do to heal of something? First of all, you have to acknowledge You've seen on TV, they'll all be sitting in a circle, and the new guy will eventually, he'll stand up and say, Hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic. Then he can begin his road to recovery. We must understand that we are sinners saved by grace. He's not calling them sinners here because he's writing to believers. He's calling them the sinners that are saved by grace. We're still going to sin. He says, you've got to understand that you're going to sin, but you've got to work on that. You've got to clean yourself by submitting to God when you have put yourself in proper rank and you're under his authority. Your life is going to change. He also says there to purify your hearts. Look there at James 1, 7. Let's, you know, to purify your hearts, James 1, 7 tells us this. For the man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We've got to cleanse our motives. That James 1.8 over there is talking about that those don't have wisdom. If you'll ask the Lord, he'll give you wisdom freely. But you can't ask God and be wavering. You can't be sitting on the fence saying, oh, I'm going to live this way some of the time. And guess what? On Sunday, I'm going to live on the other side of the fence. You can't be teeter-totting. You've got to be devoted to him. You've got to submit yourself to purify, to, to make pure, to get rid of that sin through his saving grace. 
You got to work on those undesirable traits. You know, if you're tempted, we'll just pick one out. If you're tempted with pornography, men or women both, it's not good to be alone by yourself in the dark with a computer connected to the internet. That quick, it's there. You've got to learn what these things are that set you off. If you're an alcoholic, you don't go sit in a bar and say, I'm going to drink a cup of water. If you're a gambler, you don't go down to the casino and walk inside to go eat at the restaurant. These things that you've got to run from them. You've got to change who you are. What are your motives? What's in your heart? I love this description of the heart so that we understand what James meant when he wrote it. It says it's the locus of a person's thought or mind, the volition, the emotion, the knowledge of right from wrong, the conscious, the heart. He's not talking about the pumping organism. Once again, I can do just like the hands. A surgeon could open up my heart. He could take it off. He could cleanse it in some water and put it back in there. And the devil don't care one bit about that. But cleansing the heart is your inner man who you are. What is your motives? Let me ask you this. What's your motives for coming to church? What's your motives for tithing? What's your motives for doing anything? Is it so that you can be seen? Is it so you think maybe God will do something for you? Or is it out of obedience to him, submitting to God? And we do this by drawing near to him, converging our spirit, cleaning our actions, cleansing our motives but he moves on there after calling them again double-minded because many of these people were just like we are many times they're teeter-totting back and forth says to be miserable look there at verse nine be miserable mourn and weep what is james talking about would y'all like it if i come in here and i just told you for the next week i need you to be miserable I need you to mourn and I need you to weep all week long. What is he talking about? He's talking about be miserable in your sin. Let sin make you uncomfortable. Let it make you mourn and weep in the presence of a holy God. If we're going to submit to God and we're going to draw near to him and as his light shines, it's going to reveal to us that we're sinners and that we're double-minded. And the more light it shines, the more we realize how sinful we are and that we're undeserving of what he did because of his grace and his mercy. He loved us and we should be convicted. We should be mourning and weeping as we confess our sins. It says, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Stop enjoying living in the sin. We're going to sin. And we've got to get to the point that we understand that we're sinning against a holy God, a sovereign God that loves us. And if that doesn't convict us, then there's something a matter that be miserable, mourn, weep. There's those commands again. Most of you in here have had children or at least worked with some children. Have you ever had the child that did something wrong, hit on a friend? Now listen here, son. You need to go over there and apologize. Okay. I'm sorry. 
and he goes off? Or have you seen the one that went over and said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, or my anger got a hold of me. It's got to be a remorse. You know, we can approach to God, I've done it. Dear God, I'm sorry that I just did that. Thank you, I'll, I'll be back in a little while. And I'll leave. You ever done that? But have you ever felt the overwhelming conviction of Holy Spirit for something that you've done against the Holy Sovereign Lord and it took you to your knees and you weeped? Phil, I appreciate what you said. Now, we don't deserve. And how often do we forget to thank God for what he, does, what he has done for us? When we sin and we understand, let me give you this picture. You've probably heard it. You've seen it before. But if sin doesn't convict you, then we need to, we need to talk a little bit. Because when you sin, you're the one that took that hammer and hit that nail on Jesus' hand. Every time we sin, the reason he got those lashes on his back that crown on there, those horns, the, the thorns and the nails. We're the ones. Our sin drove those nails. He took our place. We should be miserable and mourn within our sin. And lastly, we've got to crush the pride. Look at verse 10. It says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Here we go. Humble is a command. He will exalt you is written as it will happen. When we crush the pride, we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. We've got to place ourselves in submission. If I go into my time with the Lord and I get ready to go into wherever my little area is that I'm going to spend that day with him. And I take the button of my suit and I get it together. All right, God, you sit right over there. I'm ready. Let's have a talk. I'm so glad you were able to come today, Lord, and visit with me. <laughs> that chair right there is going to be empty. But when I understand that I'm a sinner saved by grace and that my heavenly Father who loves me is drawing me to him and I have the right and the privilege to enter into his presence. That the Isaiah talks about, I see you high and lifted up, exalted, sitting on the throne, the robe filling it. The angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy. The building quaking because of the presence and the mightiness of God. When I realize that that's who I'm coming in the presence of, I need to come humbling. When I realize the one that could have told me, you know, Richard, you're no good. I set up some examples. You didn't follow those. I gave you some commands. You didn't do it. You know what? You're out. Strike three, you're gone. Go to hell and spend all eternity separated from me. 
Does he have the right to do that? You better believe he does because I'm like Paul. I'm, I'm the least of these. But that's not who he is. He says, come. You see, I've got to crush my pride and put God first. It's not what the world says by any means. The world says you're first. It's all about you. No. If I'm going to submit to God, I'm going to put myself in the proper place, and I've got to put him first in my life. And then, then, he will exalt me. Picture it this way. You come in humbly before God, and it takes you to your knees. God doesn't leave us there. He says, come on, Richard, stand up. You've got the right to be here. I look at you, Richard, and I see righteousness, and I see holiness because I've come humbly before him through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. There's no other way that I could be there. When we do that, church, we're submitting to God as the authority. And at that point, there will be no way that when you resist the devil, he won't flee. Now, we've got to submit to God. And we've got to resist the devil because just because we submit to God doesn't mean we don't let the devil come on in because, you know, he comes where he's wanted. He comes in sometimes when he's not. But if we have submitted ourselves before God, we're going to be able to watch the devil run. Now, let me tell you, though, if you take those four things we just looked at, if you don't submit to God on a regular basis, if you're not drawing near to God on a regular basis, if you're not working on cleaning your actions and cleaning your motives through his power and you're not working on crushing your pride, if none of that bothers you, let me tell you one of two things. You got a weak faith or you got no faith at all. Hurt your feelings or not, I'm sorry. But if we're not wanting to draw near to God and be with him and close to him, if we don't do this, on a, if we don't try to do this, because I know we're going to mess up sometimes, but if this is not a goal, if we're not convicted of this stuff, we're weak, weak. I want us to grow and to be strengthened. I want us to be powerful warriors that we can watch that devil run when we're submitted to God and devil comes in and we quote a scripture. I want to see fire underneath his feet. He's running so fast away. So it's not just resist the devil and he'll flee because you can't do that. But if we submit to God and then resist the devil in that authority, he will run, run, run. So if those questions that I asked, is there a, a sin that just seems to have been persistent in your life? Is there a, a just a, a lack of just like temptation all the time, the same one, and you, you fall into it or your prayer life doesn't seem to be right? Something's going on. 
Submit to God and we'll grow. Can you imagine, church? You know, I remember one time when my dad had went down the road. He might have shared that with y'all. He bought me a couple of speakers and a stereo system. And I was so excited when he got home that I went and I pulled them both to the edge of the the little vehicle he had there. And I picked up one and I, I set it right there. And I gabbed the other one and I set it right on top. Dad said, son, carry them inside one at a time. I'm a big boy. I didn't have to submit to that. Got both of my speakers. Same time, here we go. Guess what happened? Top one. Five pieces on the ground. Never did get that thing to stay back together. See, we have a choice. But when we submit to God, then we'll be exalted. We will be rewarded. So my question for you this morning, 